thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for opening doors and answering prayer. We thank you that you are in control, and Lord, we are not. We thank you for your grace and your goodness to us, and we just want to praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. One uh, person was supposed to crash into planet Earth, and we were all supposed to be obliterated. And, and, uh, and uh, I read a little bit further in the article and found out that the magic number is 33. Uh, if you're a numerologist, of which uh, we have none here by God's grace, uh, and if that makes a bit of sense to you, you're in the wrong place. Amen. Uh, but yet, uh, he says he got this all by study of the book of Revelation and things like this. And, and he can see imaginary planets that don't exist. Well, that's exciting stuff. Uh, no, it's not, actually. The promise is the disciples were with Jesus. He was walking out of the city of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, they were looking at his chest. Then they were looking at his kneecaps, then his toes. And they're just standing there as he is rising, just rising up into the heavens, covered with the clouds. And they were doing exactly what we would be doing if we were there. And the angels appeared and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? What do you stand here with your mouth open, not saying anything? Uh, Jesus is coming again in like manner. And and many people have uh, tried to argue about this, but I'll tell you what. You read Zechariah chapter 14. And Jesus is coming again. His foot touches that same Mount of Olives. And the mountain splits in half. And every eye is going to see Him. And the armies of heaven are going to come with Him. And He's going to fight the battle of Armageddon. How can you make this in like manner with that? You know what? You can't. And so it's going to be two separate events. It's going to be different. Jesus is coming to take his church. Next week, we'll go through the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And Jesus gives that church a promise. He says, I'm going to save that church from the hour of temptation that shall come to try the earth. And uh, if you don't think that's talking about the remainder of the book of Revelation and the seven seals and all of the trouble that is there, then... Uh, You know, I I don't think I can help you very much. But Jesus has promised to protect his church. He told that the angels told the disciples in like manner. The only people that were there were saved people. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. I remember when my wife and I were just about to get married. Just a little over 29 years ago. Do you remember 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 88? (laughs) I knew he'd remember that. And the sequel was 89 reasons why Jesus is returning in 89. He didn't have enough guts to write 90 reasons why Jesus shall return in 90. And, of course, Harold Camping and the Jehovah's Witnesses had several false things where they've actually sold possessions and got ready for the Lord to come and... 
He didn't come. How many of you remember all the fervor about Y2K? We started in July. If you were here in the church, you remember, nothing is going to happen. The bombs aren't going off. The Pentagon isn't blowing up. The banks aren't going bankrupt. And Jesus isn't coming back. You know why? Because everybody's expecting it. So it's not going to happen then. I thought I was on pretty safe territory. And 17 years later, I'm still on safe territory. Amen. And uh, But there are some things that we need to remember. Let's turn to the book of Titus, if you would. The book of Titus, as Paul is instructing Titus, a preacher, how to keep order in the church and and to do things the way that they ought to be done. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read some verses here. Get your fingers limbered up. we got a couple of passages to examine, and uh, we'll try to be done on time. But verse um, uh, 11 of Titus chapter 2, and 2 Timothy is not Titus. There we go. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. In uh, probably the last 20 years, there have been more uh, opinions and alterations to the doctrine of the Lord's second return than maybe any other time in history. We, we've got the post-trib, uh, uh, pre-mill, the post-mill, pre... I mean, everybody has got a different version, and we have the pre-wrath and the mid-trib, and uh, even though they're the same thing, just come up with in different time periods, the authors of the, uh, the mid-trib tells us that we're not to be confused by the fact that we've heard this before and have disregarded it because he has new information that no one has ever gotten. That was uh, Marv Rosenthal there. And um, you know what? Here's what the Bible says. You know why the homosexual crowd has such a tough time and the alphabet people have so many suicide attempts and so much despair and so much... Because it says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You ever wonder why you felt guilty when you sinned? That's the grace of God. It teaches us that we've got to come to God. You've got to either fill that spot in your soul, that emptiness with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you have to drown it out. I think it was last Sunday afternoon, or was one Sunday afternoon in recent history, it must have been, Nearly a hundred motorcycles riding up 35th Street. I mean, it just, the building shook. It sounded like some earthquake or something. And what in the world was that? And, and my wife said, it was a bunch of motorcycles going up the street. 
I guess school let out or something. I'm not sure, but uh, it was crazy. And uh, we have all kinds of things. People try to drown it out with loud music, with drugs, with uh, escapism of all kinds and sorts. You know what the Bible teaches us? It says we have something to look forward to. It's called the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but we live in a scary world, do we not? If you're not already praying about what's going on between North Korea and the United States, uh, you'd better start. Because God's the only one that's going to keep that thing from turning into a war. Last time we had one over there, it was not a good thing. And uh, we just need to pray. We really do. But I'm not going to get discouraged. Because I have a hope. I have a blessed hope. I have something to hold on to. Jesus is coming back. That's what Paul is telling Titus here. That Jesus gave himself for us. There's a reason to live pure. There's a reason to pay attention to the Bible. We want to be ready when Jesus comes back. Amen? I got one from Brother D'Angelo. I got a couple of nods there. We want to be ready when Jesus comes back, don't you? And the simple truth is... It says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. I'm not going to stop preaching what the Bible teaches in spite of the fact that all these new scholars and uh, people out there are despising and telling us how foolish we are and uh, the Lord's already returned or He's not coming when you think He is and you're going through the tribulation. And I, I had one person tell me one time, well, the, the people who invented the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture were just afraid of suffering for Jesus. I said, you know something? Uh, lack of history, lack of sense, lack of understanding of your scriptures... Just a general lack of, you know, we put it up there with the bumper sticker, no fear. If there's no fear, there's a lot of other things that are missing. And uh, there's just a truth here. We have a hope. The Bible tells us to be zealous of good works, to be preparing for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. We'll just keep moving through these passages tonight. 1 John chapter 3, way in the back of your Bible, that little book there. And we're just going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Do you get what John's saying here? He says, Listen, You need to understand. You need to pay attention. You need to think about the love that God has given to us, that He has adopted us into His family, that He gives us the title, sons. I'll tell you, that's a special 
relationship there. I remember many years ago when I was traveling with Brother Clayton just out of Bible college in 1986 and a couple of occasions we were different places and, and some people would say, uh, is that your son talking about me? And uh, Brother Clayton had always chirping, well, not really, but I claim him. And, and I'll tell you, that, that made a special relationship there. It, it was just... Uh, it was just something that was good. My father passed away when I was 14, and just having someone there who would, who would say, yeah, I'll, I'll put my arm around you, I'll be that place. That was good, but this is God the Father. And He's not just talking to me or to you. He's talking to everyone that believes on the name of Jesus. He's not forgetting us. He loves us. He claims us as His sons. His children. And then it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are right now. We have that position. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. I don't know what I'm going to be like in heaven, but I'll guarantee one thing, I won't need ibuprofen on the other side. Amen? Uh, no painkillers, no muscle strains, no... Uh, and the thing I think I'm looking forward to most of all is no sleep. I, I'm uh, for the first ten thousand years. I'm not going to bed. I'm not laying down. I, I just always, I've tried to live life without sleep. It does not work. Don't try that on your own. It's not wise. But when we get to heaven, we won't need to rest. You know why? Because we're going to see Him as He is. And if you think you're going to do anything would crowd around the throne and give praise and worship to God. you got another thing coming. That's what heaven's about. That is what eternity is about, is honoring God for who He is. It will take all of eternity, which means it will never end. And here's what it says. It says that when He appears... We're going to become like Him. People have often asked the question, especially at funerals and things, will, will I know my loved ones? What, what kind of relationship will I have on the other side with, with people that are here? And, and, and the truth of the matter is, if we can wrap our mind around this, we will be closer to each other in heaven than we were to any person here on earth, because we will be one with Jesus Christ. God is not going to have to sit down and spend eternity answering all of our questions like the songs often say. We'll know. Because we're going to be like Jesus. And here's what it says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Every one of us were tempted to sin this past week. 
more than likely, every one of us gave in. Whether it was losing your temper, saying something you shouldn't have said, thinking and feeling wrong thoughts, getting discouraged with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, taking our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things we do. But what should we do? Hey, we have a blessed hope Jesus is coming back. The only thing you will regret, the only thing I will regret when we get to heaven, is not having been a more pure, a better servant of the Lord Jesus Christ while we lived here on earth. That's the only thing you're going to regret. And I'll tell you what, we'll regret it in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend down here. And so we need to get a hold of this truth. I think it was uh, Bancroft's Systematic Theology said in uh, um, the how many ever chapters that are in the New Testament. I'm forgetting the quote here. Uh, 219 chapters, I believe, in the Old Testament. There's 318 references to this doctrine of the Lord's return in the New Testament. I'm not sure if those numbers are entirely accurate, but it's it's fairly close. But there's there is a lot of references. The Lord's coming, if you've been through the discipleship. It is the glue. It is the thing that hooks every doctrine that we believe together. And we need to understand that it is God's great love that He's going to make us. He already calls us His sons. We're as sure as of heaven as if we were already there. The Bible says in Ephesians that we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're just waiting. But while we're waiting, we've got some work to do. Amen? We've got some things to do. And that's what the Bible tells us. And let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians. This is another passage that we go to often. As Paul talks about here, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Paul said, the whole reason I'm writing this is we're going to face this thing called death. And he says, you don't need to be ignorant. You don't need to be without understanding. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's one of the problems I have with these left-behind movies and all of those things is I remember watching some of the 
earlier ones, way back in, they were made in the 70s when I was a young teenager. And man, they'd scare the living daylights out of you. You know what the Bible says? It says we're supposed to comfort one another with these words. You see, man always, even under the best intentions, man always perverts God's Word. The second coming of Jesus is not something to scare you with. It's something we embrace. It is our blessed hope. It is the motivation to keep us living for Jesus in these last days. And when we stand there at the grave of a loved one, we can be comforted in saying, we're going to be together again. But when we are, we're going to be like Jesus. You see, we have no idea when this is going to happen. But guess what? Jesus is going to descend. We're going to hear that trumpet sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Somebody said, why do they get to go first? Someone said, well, they got six feet further to go. I don't think that's quite theologically correct. But uh, uh, the simple truth of the matter is that's the order the Lord set it in. And we're going to be caught up. You know, people have made all kinds of movies trying to Oh, what, how are they going to explain the disappearance of all the Christians? And all? I don't think the world is going to care if we disappear. They don't like us now. I think for one, our, our governor here in New York, he'd be having a party if all the Christians just got up and left. Uh, finally, I get the state my way. Well... Nobody's going to get anything their way during the reign of Antichrist, let me tell you. Not even the Antichrist. Read the book of Revelation. But the Bible tells us that we can comfort one another. Let's go to one more passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, verse 50, Now this I say, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain 
in the Lord. This doctrine of Jesus' imminent return is supposed to give us the ability to be steadfast and unmovable. You stop and look at the world in which we live. In the last 50 years, what has not changed? If we go back, well, let's go back 60 years, right after World War II. They're having a ball game at Yankee Stadium, and half the Yankees sat down during the national anthem. What would have happened? Let me tell you, the stands would have emptied, and every veteran would have come down and found them a ball player that was sitting down and beat the living stuff out of them and said, if you're going to play ball in this country, you're going to respect the national anthem. And our president gets cursed for saying something about a bunch of ignorant football players who don't want to stand during the national anthem. Everything has changed. When I was a kid, it was global cooling. The sun was going down and everything was going to freeze. They taught that in school. And I... Remember, when I was in fourth or fifth grade, uh, we had a freak sleet and snowstorm in the middle of April, and I was there just almost on the verge of tears. The earth is going to freeze. It was 90 degrees today. In the middle of the end of September, the last Sunday of September, and now they're telling us we're all going to drown because of global warming. Same nuts. Different stories. And I'll still believe in my Creator. I remember as a freshman in Bible college, I was just beginning. I really, well, I did not know near as much as I thought I did. I'll tell you that. But uh, I I had grown up, most of you know, in a non-denominational church, a Baptistic church. Praise God, the church I grew up in now claims to be an independent Baptist church. And we made the same basic journey, but I remember cleaning the floors. I got a job as a floor maintenance man in a nursing home, and so I'm there polishing the floor and really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I just had different rooms to do, and and as I walked into one room, I said, May I, may I come in and polish the floors? And the, and the lady said, Oh, yes, please come in. And and she began to talk to me and say, well, what are you, you, you don't sound like you're from around here. And, and, and uh, began to ask questions. And I told her I was a student at Baptist Bible College and studying for the ministry. And she began very condescendingly to tell me, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I remember those days. She said, when you grow up, you'll get past all that. I walked out of the room and that was... Mrs. Cox, Jr., it was Cox Medical Center, which is like the largest hospital now in, in Springfield, Missouri. And that was the widow of Mr. Cox that I was polishing the room for. And it was his daughter that was giving me where for and what for. Let me tell you, that was a long time ago. That was 1982, maybe 1983. And I believe more today 
in those doctrines and I hold more tightly to them today than I did back then. I have much more reason to hold on to those things. You see, the Bible says, be ye steadfast and unmovable. You can call me ignorant if you want. But if you're here for this morning's sermon, you don't get to assess what is truth and what isn't because Jesus already has. And if I'm going to stand before God and, and uh, be judged of God by His Word, I'd much rather be there in agreement to His Word and disagreement with the whole world than the other way around. How about you? And we need to understand that who I am and what I am, John told us, uh, we don't know what we're going to be when we get to heaven, but we're going to be like Jesus. And Paul here tells us, listen, this is corruptible. If you have any questions, just don't brush your teeth or put on deodorant for about 24 hours. And that should answer all of your questions uh, about corruption. Uh, if that doesn't solve the problem, uh, well, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the simple truth is, we as human beings... We got problems. We're going to die. You started dying the moment you were born. But Jesus saved me. And one of these days, He's going to change me. How many of you have ever gotten mad at yourself for being such a weak Christian? Well, guess what? When this corruption puts on incorruption, not going to be any more of that foolishness. Amen? We're going to be like Him. And if I were to ask you, how many of you want to really enjoy heaven? Every hand would go up, I would hope. Well... If you want to learn to do something well, what do you do? You practice, don't you? Well, why don't we practice? That doesn't mean that you stand in a corner and jump up and down saying, Lord, come take me. Uh, That's not what we're talking about here. It's be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's how you practice for heaven. I had a saxophone teacher when I was in high school. He was a Jewish man. Um, did not believe the Bible. Tried to witness to him a few times. But he said, listen. He said, I'll teach you how to play the saxophone. I said, well, that's what I'm trying to learn. And uh, uh, he, he stopped me one day and he said, now listen, you practiced a lot this week, didn't you? I said, I most certainly did. And he said... All you did was teach yourself the wrong way to play this. He said, practice does not make perfect. Practicing perfect makes perfect. He said, if you don't do it right, you're only teaching yourself how to do it wrong. And now you're going to have to unlearn all of the things that you thought you were learning so you can learn how to do it right. That's not fun now, is it? You see... We don't just serve Jesus because it's the best that we can do. We do not offer Him 
our best efforts and say, God, well, you just have to be pleased with it because that's all I got. How are we supposed to live? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? That's a struggle. That doesn't happen naturally. If we're going to be steadfast, if we're going to practice, we've got to get close enough to Jesus that some of it rubs off here and now. We've got to get enough of this book in us that we know what to do and how to do it. Amen? I'll tell you this, the greatest fear that you will experience in this life is trying to be obedient to the book, to the words of this book called the Bible. The devil loves to use fear to keep us from doing what's right. If you really want to drive the world absolutely insane, Just do what's right. In spite of all their huff and bluff and puff and noise and intimidation and all of these things. You read the rest of chapter 15. The last enemy that is going to be destroyed. Who knows what his name is? Death. Death is that last enemy. Jesus is going to be in charge. Until he puts all things under the Father. And then he's going to step aside that God may be all in all. And we'll understand what that means. We don't today. we got some ideas, but... Here's the important part. He's going to change me. But till he does, he's got some things he wants me to do. And they're not complicated things. They're not impossible things. Many of them are daily things. And if we'll do those things, you see, I have hope. I have a cause to live a clean life in this wicked world. I have comfort, even though death knocks at my door. And I have a reason to be steadfast and unmovable, not pushed around by the slight and cunning craftiness whereby men lie in wait to deceive, as is told us in the book of Ephesians. Because Jesus is coming back. I don't know when, but if I want to be ready... I must be about my Father's business. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back while we were in church? I'd love for him to come back in the middle of a prayer meeting. Dear Lord Jesus, and pray and bring all these burdens. There he is. Open your eyes and find yourself at the foot of the throne. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So, if you want to do the math to figure out how far it travels, 30 feet to get from the chandelier to the pulpit and back again, 
That's the twinkling of an eye, the reflection of light off the human cornea. It's all going to be over. We'll pass from this existence into the next. And every burden that we've borne and every trial that we've carried and every sorrow that has weighed us down will be absolutely nothing compared to one, our first glimpse of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Him? That's how we're supposed to live. It will work wonders in our heart and in our lives. We'll just remember, Jesus is coming. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, this is well-traveled ground here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. But it doesn't hurt for us to remember, once again, all the blessings that are involved. And Lord, we do not know when you're coming. And we ask that you would give us grace not to be afraid, not to let fear pierce our souls when we think about Jesus' return, but, Lord, that the joy that is supposed to be there, the expectation of your return, Lord, that it would give us the impetus to be your servants in these last days. We ask you to work in our hearts. That when you do come, we would not be caught unawares. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you'd like to add some of your own prayers to that, we'll take just a moment, then get into our prayer time.